Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Opie Omojula, who shares how a recipe inspired her to slow down and reconnect with her love of food in a new and more substantive way. Here's more from Opie. Hi, my name's Opie Omojula. I'm an artist and I have a jewelry line called Octave Jewelry. Something that made me slow down recently was actually a recipe. During the early days of shelter in place, cooking was my meditation. It was one of the only ways I could really focus on the moment. I mostly freestyle, but when I came across Bryant Terry's recipe for green rice, I had to try it. The process reminded me of jollof rice, one of my favorite foods growing up. It's a West African specialty of rice simmered in an aromatic tomato and pepper broth. Bryant Terry's version is this gorgeous emerald green from herbs and green vegetables. Cooking it and then eating it felt like a blend of novelty and nostalgia. I love when food can make you feel at home, but also transport you. In normal times, I enjoy having people over, cooking with my friends and family, and it's difficult in isolation to bring that same joy into the kitchen. But making this dish reminded me of the deep pleasure of filling your home with good smells and putting something delicious on your plate. I definitely recommend you check out Bryant Terry's work, both his recipes and his activism in food sustainability. No matter where you find it, I hope we can all be creative, finding ways to feed ourselves, body and mind. Thanks so much again to Opie for sharing. Again, the recipe she mentioned was created by Bryant Terry. Now here's my conversation with Lily Galef of Helma. What does it mean to be truly well? Lily Galef contends that there is no uniform answer to this question. And with this in mind, she set out to disrupt the uniform approach to how we've typically considered our relationship with health and wellness in 2020. Enter Helma, a newly launched natural remedies brand creating a new standard that's backed by science and fueled by the mission to create true medicine cabinet staples. As the co-founder and chief brand officer of Helma, Lily's lifelong love of art and reading coupled with her past professional experiences at companies including Christie's and Vogue have informed the identity and language used to communicate the efficacy of the brand's products. Though for Lily, storytelling remains at the core in all that she does, and it has been an especially critical tool in bolstering Hilma's community during a time of tragedy. But despite the uncertainty that lies ahead, Hilma has already provided us with a powerful reminder that when it comes to health, 
There is nothing more important than the power of choice, and that process begins with learning from science, listening to your gut, and living with heart. In this interview, Lily shared more about her thoughts on the synergy between health and storytelling, the importance of making space for the emotional aspects around health, and what she's learned about embracing the power of choice in her own life. So much of what we spoke about is top of mind for a lot of us, so without further delay, here's my conversation with Lily Galef with Helma. I'm a co-founder and chief brand officer of Hilma, which is a new brand that's reimagining your medicine cabinet with natural remedies that are backed by science. Um, but beyond that, and kind of outside of that, I'm the oldest of five siblings. Um, I'm from Connecticut, and I've lived in New York City for most of my adult life. Um, and I really love the energy of New York, you know, the hustle and bustle, the variety and kind of texture of all the different neighborhoods and types of people who live there. Um, reading is also one of my absolute favorite things to do, which is one of the reasons I was excited to be invited to have this conversation with you, since I know from some of our previous conversations that that's kind of a passion that we share. Um, and, you know, reading obviously lends itself very well to storytelling, which is um, another passion of mine that I've been lucky enough to kind of pivot into a career uh, that I love. Um, and I guess what I value in life, um, it's a big question, but I think when I was thinking through the answer to this, really what came up for me is family. Um, and I have a very broad definition of family. Obviously, I have a, a huge immediate family who I love and I'm very close with despite, you know, it's dysfunction. Um, but I also consider, you know, my close friends, my partner, my co-founders, my family as well. And I have a really close knit group of, you know, it's not a big group, but it's really a close knit group of, of people who I have really uh, strong and valuable relationships with. And I think that's probably the, the most important thing to me in my life. Yeah. And, you know, I think between storytelling and community, family, friends, so much of what seems to inform your work is really rooted in quality over quantity. So it doesn't surprise me that you value that sort of tight-knit approach. And going back to what you were saying about reading, it's definitely a shared passion. And I actually loved to have you share a story, whether it's a book or an article that made you slow down recently, or one that reframed your perspective about health. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I was actually just listening this week to some of the recent episodes of this podcast, and I realized that trees seem to be quite a theme in the response to this question. And I was um, laughing to myself because the the book that I really, that really comes to mind here for me is The Overstory, um, which I just recently read. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it it tells a story about kind of the interconnected lives of multiple generations of people across different geographies and cultures and time periods. Um, but it, in, in a way, the main character of the book really is the trees that sort of bear witness to it all. Um, and there's all of this interesting information about the the very human elements actually of trees and, and ecosystems. And I found the book to be just fascinating. Um, and, and also found it really calming actually to 
to just think about the the vast difference in the time scale between humans and trees. And and I love this idea that, you know, we're all kind of running around and living our crazy lives and and there's just sort of this quiet witness that is operating on on a much larger time scale than us. Um, and it, it helped give me some perspective in this particularly challenging time. Um, and I also happened to be in Maine when I was reading the book and was just surrounded by nature. And it was, it was such a lovely experience for me. It's so interesting. I'll have to kind of dig deeper into some of the recent recommendations from other guests about trees, as well as what you just mentioned, because there's obviously some sort of synergy here. Um, you know, but I think too, storytelling has such a profound impact on how we examine the world and sometimes escape it. And I think just as you were speaking, I'm curious uh, if there was a particular story or book that you read before you got into the trenches of building Hilma or something that kind of made its way into the DNA of the story that you're trying to tell there? That's a great question. I'm not sure if there's a particular book that really made its way into Hilma. I think it's actually more the culmination of the types of stories that I like to read. Um, I'm very... I love novels. I love stories about people and people from different cultures and sort of understanding the the long trajectory of their lives. And I think that as I've thought about the storytelling, the type of storytelling that we do at Helma, it really has been with that same intention of focusing on elevating personal narratives that that just share a different perspective. Um, and and I think that. One of the things I'm most proud of that we've done um, at Hilma is is share a variety of perspectives so that you can come to our site or our platform, however you find us, um, and you can see, you know, a doctor's perspective on what's going on in your body when you have indigestion, and then you can also learn about how an herbalist got to where she is in the world and the different ingredients that she includes in her medicine cabinet um, and the different ways that those two people have come to approach their health in such in really such different ways, but ultimately in ways that we believe are, are complementary. Absolutely. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier about valuing community and the people in your life, Obviously, the story of Hilma is a collective effort between you and your co-founder stories. And so I think before we really get into the heart of talking about Hilma and everything that you're doing, it would be great to have you give our listeners a refresh on elements of your professional story and how some of your experiences have informed the identity of Hilma. Of course. Um, so I've always been, you know, as I mentioned, very interested in in storytelling and sort of creative pursuits. Um, I was very interested in visual arts, actually, when I was young, but quickly learned that my talents did not meet my level of interest. So I sort of shifted in and became more of an admirer of of art rather than a, a producer of it. Um, but so I was an art history major. Um, at WashU in St. Louis, um, and I loved loved that degree um, because, you know, obviously I love art and creativity, but I also just found it fascinating to learn about different cultures and periods of time through 
the art that was created. And, and I feel like that experience of kind of learning about, about the history of a place through the creativity that it inspired was so uh, enriching to me. Um, and so with that kind of background, I uh, started my career in New York working at Christie's Auction House in the Impressionist and Modern Art Department, which was such a, an amazing experience. Um, it was really interesting to kind of be in the art world up close and, and see some of the masterpieces that I had studied in school up close, which was incredible. Um, but honestly, I, I realized while I was there that while art was sort of a passion of mine, it wasn't really meant to be my whole career. Um, and so I was left sort of wondering what I should do with my life. Um, and I, and I fell back again on, on this idea of storytelling. And I had always been, been interested in media, um, you know, loved reading magazines and, and sort of, understanding how different stories were being told through each of those publications. So I started off uh, at Vogue um, on the PR and brand marketing team where I kind of learned the basics. Um, and then from there, I moved over to Vox, which was a really interesting startup um, in the space um, that was really, you know, focused on lots of different small digital brands and um, that really took a, a, a more considered approach to storytelling than some of their competitors, which were a little bit more clickbaity. Um, and then from there, I moved over to Refinery29, where I was for over three years before starting Hilma, um, where I was focused on content strategy. Um, so, you know, I was working with our retail and fashion partners like Target and H&M to kind of help translate their their marketing goals into content campaigns that would actually resonate with our millennial female audience. Um, and then while I was at Refinery29, um, my friend and now co-founder and I um, were, were actually just hanging out um, and I wasn't feeling well. Um, and she pulled out uh, a packet of, of, you know, the, the standard kind of vitamin C packet that you see in every CVS and every office across the country. Um, and we kind of looked at each other and, and had this moment of why are we taking this product? It felt so incongruous with all of the other products and brands that we had in our lives. Um, you know, and it just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. It was full of sugar and dyes. The branding was terrible. Um, you know, it didn't taste very good and it, you know, it didn't stand up against all of the products that I had in my, in my home, either from the food that I was buying from Whole Foods or the beauty products that were all clean label, um, or even the, the, you know, Mrs. Meyers hand soap that I had. So we, we saw this gap in the market and we really became obsessed with it. So we took it to our third co-founder, Hillary, who Nina, um, had, you know, been at business school with, um, and who I had known personally for a few years. And the three of us just became obsessed with this idea that, you know, the clean label trend had not yet hit the medicine cabinet. Um, and it was so strange because when, you know, in theory, those products are supposed to be supporting your health the most. And yet when we looked at the label of not just the vitamin C packet, but, you know, all of the other products that that we had in our homes, and I'm sure you and 
most of your listeners have in their homes, um, you know, we really were unsatisfied with what we saw there. There were a ton of fillers and sugars and dyes. Um, and also the brands themselves really did not have any sort of emotional connection to their customers. And we saw that as a really big opportunity for us because health is so emotional. Um, and, you know, there, there's an ability, like I alluded to earlier, to really share interesting perspectives on how different people approach their health and to really be a brand that can sit and say, you know, we are a resource for education. All of our products are backed by science. Um, you know, we're investing in clinical research on natural ingredients, which is, um, you know, so important. Um, but we're also here to share different perspectives from different people on how they've how they approach their health, what the cultural influences are on their health, um, and you know, the different routines and rituals that everyone participates in. Um, for their health. So long way to say, we, we ultimately have created um, a suite of what we call the new medicine cabinet staples, really reimagining the medicine cabinet um, by creating a suite of products that are made with natural ingredients, backed by science, um, and easily accessible to a modern customer. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think too, it's really interesting about this particular category you know, you're in the wellness space in terms of the positioning and the branding, but it really does kind of require a shift in pace because, you know, when you're approaching things that you're going to put in your body, you have to actively choose to slow down and really understand the implications of what that means. And I think something that's been coming up in a lot of my conversations this year, especially when we talk about slowing down and pace is that it really is a positive thing only when it comes by choice. And I think as we collectively reckon with how to choose to exist in a world that has been affected by a global pandemic, we really need to shift our thinking. So I'm wondering how this time has been for you in terms of your outlook on the power of choice as you bring Helma into the world and just on an individual level too. Yeah, I think I think in terms of Hilma, what's really interesting about this time is that so many people, myself included, are finding themselves without their without all of these things that they maybe didn't even realize were holding them up. Um, that's been the biggest insight for me. Is you know, I I took for granted all of the little things from you know getting my coffee in the morning, living in New York City, my morning commute, my grocery runs, my daily meetings. And I didn't realize how much of a choice those things were and how much those things were were adding this texture and rhythm to my life that was really holding me up. And I think so many people have felt that similar sort of swipe of all of those things being sort of taken away. And I think it's been really hard for a lot of people, myself included, but it's also been really interesting because it's a time when people can develop or are really forced to develop new routines and new rituals in this strange new world that we live in. And I think given, you know, the nature of everything that's going on, we've seen that people are really focused on their health and developing new rituals and routines around their health. And so when I think about Hilma, I think, you know, especially in this context of people wanting to 
read the label, people caring, feeling more like the CEO of their own health and really doing the research and choosing the products that they feel good about putting into their body. We see ourselves as a really great option for those people to turn to because one, we have all of that information for them to read. We are an amazing product that they can trust, but also we're pairing it with a lot of interesting storytelling and information um, to a to a person who's really hungry for that right now. I think what's great about how you've approached this with Helma is that the storytelling and content is really an invitation. I think traditionally, just as a consumer of these kinds of products before Helma, I always felt intimidated or spoken to rather than invited into a conversation around what it means to, as you guys say, get that better feeling. And I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about how this is all affected by the shift in pace that we're experiencing, we're collectively assessing why it's important to slow down and be intentional in every facet of our lives. And for me, that exploration has really come through a content and storytelling lens. And so Slow Stories in its most current phase is really about exploring slowing down in our digital age. And something that I always like to ask my guests, especially those who are building and creating digital first ventures, is what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to them and why they think it's important. For me, I think the idea of slow storytelling is really about connection. Um, and, and I love how you phrase that, that with other, other brands or, or content, you felt like you were being spoken to rather than invited in because that's really core to what we do. It's really about taking the time to actually understand who you are addressing and acknowledge that they are smart um, rather than, you know, trying to dumb things down and, you know, give concise, clear information, but, but acknowledge that the person who's reading it is actually interested in it and that they might want to have a little bit more context. Um, and like I said, really understanding who, who you're addressing, what's interesting to them, and then creating meaningful content that those people will actually be excited about reading. Um, and what we've learned at Hilma is that our audience is actually really interested in the science behind our products. People really want to know that they work. They want to understand the history behind the ingredients. Um, and so we've invested heavily in content that really takes the time to explain that. We have whole articles that are on just one ingredient. Um, and what we found actually is a really interesting intersection is both explaining the, the research behind the product, how it works, or the ingredient, how it works in your body, but also sharing how it's been used historically. Um, and, and I think that that's what's really interesting and exciting about our products is that, you know, now the research is being done to prove that these, that these things work, but they're also you know, remedies that have been used for thousands of years. Um, and there's something really powerful in that. So I would say that that sort of educational piece is really the first pillar of how we think about slow storytelling. And then the second is one that I've touched on already in this conversation, which is that health is so emotional. And that when you're a person who is trying to navigate this world of you know, wellness and supplements and over-the-counter aisles. Um, it's nice to actually just read about how individuals approach their own health. Um, and that's something that we invested in as well. Um, you know, sharing interesting stories, but also just different perspectives um, and presenting them without judgment. 
and saying, here's a story about someone who has terrible migraines and they take Excedrin every day. And here's a story about an herbalist who, you know, has a cabinet full of different tinctures that she takes um, and saying both of those are okay and both of those are interesting. Um, and there's really not one way to be, you know, quote unquote, healthy. Yeah, it's really important, you know, going back to your point about diversity and perspectives to share, you know, what health looks like to one person versus another. Because as we're seeing this year, there's a lot of disparity in terms of access to health and just a general sort of reckoning with all of the systems that have placed barriers to entry in terms of who gets to have access and how we kind of just talk about our relationship with health overall. And I'm sure as you were planning to launch Hilma, the thought of a pandemic and the thought of the need to dismantle systemic racism and the general divisive energy that has forced us to have these conversations was probably not top of mind. So as you think about all of these things now, I'm curious how you plan to take Helma's narrative or mission to the next level to be in service of some of these conversations. Yeah, I think you are most certainly correct that we did not predict the pandemic. Um, and it has definitely shaken us a bit um, in terms of as it has everyone. Um, but like I mentioned, I think we do see this as a time when people are really developing new routines and rituals around their health. And we're excited that, you know, we can be a resource during this time for people. Um, and I think to your point about, you know, everything that has gone on with Black Lives Matter is, you know, while of course we did not predict that particular moment in time, making sure that we have always represented a diverse variety of perspectives has been so important to us from the beginning. Um, and it's something that I'm really proud of um, that we have invested in since the beginning of our brand. And I think that, you know, and that's something that we will continue to do with, you know, renewed vigor in light of, of all that has happened. Um, and I think the way that we think about that is sharing different perspectives and also just handing the mic um, I think that's really been the core philosophy of how we have operated during this time is saying, here are people who we respect in the space and we want them to come onto our channel and, and, and share their perspective. Um, and I think, you know, we're very conscious of the fact that wellness has historically been, um, you know, very white space. And we really view our role as bringing in a diverse variety of voices and creators to come in and use our platform to to share their perspectives. And that's something that we've been doing since the beginning of our brand. And, and I think, you know, can only kind of enrich the conversation. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning again, that you guys are barely six months old. So it's, you know, there's so much opportunity to build on that. But it's incredible that these things have always been inherent to you in terms of the visual language and just the ways that you communicate some of these things. And I should have asked you this earlier in the conversation, but I'll ask it now. How did the name Hilma come into the fold? I think it's always an interesting thing to touch on in more of the business-driven interviews that I've done. The development of language and name is such a gateway to some of these broader narratives that you're trying to have come across. Yeah, so we we love the name Hilma uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we obviously saw the the amazing show at the Guggenheim um, as we were building the brand. So I think it was top of mind. Um, but we 
we really love it because it it somehow alludes to the Swiss pharmacy in a sense. Um, that was a big source of inspiration for us as we were developing the brand was sort of Swiss and European pharmacies generally, which really do have more of a mix of types of products and, and products with more natural ingredients and a more holistic approach. And it also had sort of like a, a clean, those, those products really have sort of a clean element to them um, that was very important as we developed the visual identity of the brand. And then also we, we felt that it, the name sort of inherently had a caregiving element to it. Um, we joke that it sounds like this, a Swedish grandmother or something like that. And, and we wanted to make sure that the brand felt like a place of comfort and caregiving, um, particularly because the products are meant to be taken, you know, in a moment when you're uncomfortable. Um, and we want to be that sort of caregiving force in, in people's lives. And that, you know, lives on many levels in the brand, but, but particularly in our name. Yeah, I think a lot of those elements definitely come across. And obviously, there are just so many moving parts to building a brand in 2020. And something that I've always thought is really interesting is this tension between building something that is very inherently conscious or mindful in a space that is traditionally built on this fast-paced, big growth mentality. And so I'm curious how your relationship with Pace has changed the most as you've gone through this process. And maybe how you anticipate it will change again as you gain more experience or build Hilma into new directions. We really see Hilma as a way for people to choose a product that feels less reactive, in a sense. It's less of a, a quick fix. Um, and so I think that in, in, the sen- in that sense, pace is really important um, and, and slowing down is really important to our brand. Um, also just understanding what's in the products that you're taking requires an inherent sort of slowing down of of how you consider the products in your life. You're not just reaching for that thing that you know is going to work in five seconds um, and blindly taking it. You know, it, it, it requires a more considered approach to your health. Um, and obviously, while our products are, are effective and work quickly, they, they just inherently require a level of thoughtfulness about your health that requires kind of a a slowing down of pace. Um, And I wish personally, I could say that I had a more healthy relationship with pace. Honestly, I think um, I haven't done a great job of kind of slowing down even in quarantine. And and even though, you know, in some ways we've been, we've all been forced to slow down a bit. Um, But, you know, running a business during this time is, is, is an exciting challenge and it's, it's, all the time. And I think while I always personally strive towards balance, I try, I try not to think of it as, um, you know, something I've perfected. I view it more as a practice and something that I'm kind of working towards um, every day. It makes sense. And I think, you know, I've seen so many jokes and memes pointing to the fact that the pandemic workday has doubled. So I think if anything, this time is sort of reminding us to really choose and take control of some of these things that we might not feel we have agency over as we sort of navigate a new normal. And I think what's interesting is the kind of broader evolution of wellness or the conversation around wellness in our modern age, and that there does sort of need to be a balance in terms of 
aspects of speeding up and slowing down. So kind of thinking about the learnings and the experiences that you've garnered with Hilma's advisors and your co-founders, what elements of life do you think need to slow down and on the flip side, speed up to achieve optimal and balanced health? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we need to slow down is our reactiveness. I feel like as a culture, we've become so reactive and are always looking for, you know, that quick fix. Um, And I do think that there has been sort of a counter reaction to that, um, which is clear when you see how many people are really seeking out a more holistic and integrated approach to their health. Um, And I think, you know, wellness at its best is about viewing your body as a system, um, you know, recognizing that everything is connected, your, your mental health affects your gut, your gut affects your immune system. And, you know, there is no way to isolate a specific symptom, everything is happening sort of concurrently in your body. And finding ways to sort of incorporate routines and rituals around your health um, that take all that into account rather than looking for, you know, the pill that's going to fix it is really crucial for wellness in this modern time. I think, I think that a lot of the conversation in wellness kind of disguises itself under the guise of wellness, um, but actually is still kind of pitching you a quick fix and i think that it's really important to sort of take a step back and and realize that that health is interconnected it's long term um and it's really about getting to the root cause of an issue rather than you know a, the band-aid effect as i like to call it um and in terms of what to speed up um one thing that i've been thrilled to see is how much research has been done and in the past decade around the efficacy of natural ingredients. Um, and obviously I'm really proud that that's something that Hilma has actually been able to contribute to. Um, one thing that we do that's really different than a lot of other brands in our space is that we actually invest in our own clinical research um, rather than simply relying on the research that exists. And so you know, we're, science is, is a core value of ours and I'm really proud that we've been able to, you know, put our money where, where our mouth is there. Um, and I think that seeing more brands and institutions kind of investing in this type of research will only broaden the accessibility of these types of products to more people. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of skeptics out there, but the more research that's done, um, the more comfortable people will be. And I think that will, that will be uh, only a positive thing. It's so important. And I think what's really compelling about what you're doing too, and really obviously something that's resonating, is the fact that you're creating a space that is built on education and research. And to really lead with that, you have to really go there in terms of asking important questions. And I think, you know, whether we're talking about pace or not, we've generally seen this shift in terms of kind of creating a runway to be able to ask questions that maybe before this time we didn't make headspace for. And so I'm curious if there's a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often as we navigate through this time or as it pertains to homeless research um, and mission. Yeah, I think I think like a question for me personally I, is I love that you started this conversation by kind of asking me to tell you about myself outside of my professional life. And I think it's really interesting how rare that is. 
Um, you know, when you meet people, I guess back when you used to meet people, uh, not that, that that doesn't seem to happen as much anymore, but the first question was always, so what do you do? And the implication there is, you know, in order to, to get to know you or understand you, I need to know what, what your work is. Um, and for me personally, like it, it was just refreshing to, to be asked the, the, the question in a slightly different way. Um, and I think with Hilma, I really, I really want to make sure that people understand the investment that we are putting into our clinical studies and really understand how big of a differentiator that is for us. Um, because it's really, you know, like you mentioned, we're, we're only six months in to our business, but we've been working on this research for over two years. Um, and it, it really is a big investment that we're, that we're taking. And I think it's, to speak more to kind of like the theme of this conversation around slowing down and, and taking a more slow approach um, and a more substantive approach, that has really been our guiding light is how can we create products that really drive trust with our customers? And for us, focusing in on the science and focusing in on the clinical research um, has been really core to how we've tackled that challenge. Um, and, you know, we're releasing the results in, in a few months, and I'm really excited to be able to, to share that with the, the audience that I mentioned to you, which is that is so in, interested in the science, um, because I think that there are a lot of really interesting content opportunities around that information as well. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing it. I mean, it's a language that I don't know well, but it's refreshing and relieving to see that Hilma is, you know, in the business of making it all a little bit more digestible. And I think too, going back to what you were saying about trust, it's going to be especially critical for businesses like Hilma to sort of use the space to reestablish that trust that I think has been lost and in some cases broken because of the pace that we've set for ourselves. And that is something that is probably a whole other conversation. But for this interview, it's a nice segue into my last question that I always think brings these conversations full circle. And that question is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? I think, I mean, we are living in a true moment of reload. Um, even myself, who, you know, I pride myself on trying to read substantive materials that are not, you know, just clickbait, but I even find myself getting caught up in refreshing my Instagram and Twitter, or even just the homepage of the New York times to just see what the latest is, what the most urgent thing is that's going on. And I think that's something that has been true for years, but has come to a head particularly right now during these very urgent feeling times. Um, and I think in the health space specifically, sort of given everything that's going on, many sort of see it as an opportunity for fear mongering. Um, and that is really not the approach that we have taken at Hilma. Um, obviously, we're very focused on education and clarity and, um, you know, a, a holistic approach. Um, and I think that will ultimately pay off um, in the long term because I think, you know, preying on fear is not the the way to build a long term relationship with your customers or your audience. And so, 
for us, it's really about substantive content that's relevant to the audience that we're that we're speaking to and, and kind of serving it to them in a way that that feels accessible and, and interesting. Um, and I think that what doing that ultimately yields for for Hilma, but also just generally is establishing a stronger emotional connection. was my conversation with Lily Galef, co-founder and chief brand officer of Hilma. To learn more about Hilma, visit their website at hilma.co and follow them on social media at hilma underscore co. You can follow Lily on socials well at Lily Galef. We'll be sharing highlights from this episode on our own social channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay tuned as we'll be back soon.